Hey, what's going on? Welcome to Angular Air. I'm your host, Justin Schwarzenberger, and we got the TIL episode today. It's the Today I Learned show. We're going to show a bunch of tips and tricks, um, some how-tos, and things that you can learn from in terms of, for Angular, uh, these little tidbits and stuff that hopefully will help up your uh, Angular game today. Uh, some of our regular panelists on today, we've got Austin McDaniel. Austin, how are you doing? How's it going, everybody? Sorry, I'm on vacation and I forgot my panda head, so no panda head today. <laughs> I was wondering who you were. Uh, we're just going to have to envision the panda head, right? Um, or get on Snapchat and add one. I don't know. But, uh, okay, Mike. Mike Rocky, how you doing? I'm doing well. Happy to be here. Happy to uh, be sharing some Angular 2 knowledge and learning quite a bit from you guys as well. Cool. And then we got Olivier Combe. Olivier, how you doing? Hi. I'm fine. Thank you. <laughs> cool. All right. All right. So like I said, today's show, we're going to be uh, actually showing and demoing some code. We're going to kind of jump into some things and just it's a bunch of different little tidbits and, and small individual things that uh, kind of just want, we want to share and, and get out there. So I'm going to go first. Uh, I've got a handful of things. And one of the things we've done is we've set up clunkers for all the stuff that we're going to demo. And we'll get that out in the show notes so you guys can all check these things out uh, after the show and kind of dig in and, and play with them. Uh, one note on the show notes, I'm working on getting those put onto the website now so we have a home for those. Uh, so expect those coming up in the near couple days. We'll have all the show notes there so you can get all the links on the website for the, the show, uh, angularair.com. All right. So let me go ahead and share my screen and get going here. Let's see. Do, 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 do. Perfect. Okay. Everybody good on that? Can see that? Yes. Okay. The first one I want to share is uh, component attribute selectors. So we're all familiar, pretty much everybody's familiar with the fact that uh, we can do these selectors for our components. And the string that we're using in here for the selector is uh, going to be a custom element, right? So we would use this, like in this case here, I've got this user card component. And up in this app component template, I'm using this user card component with this uh, selector for this custom element, right? So we got this uh, custom DOM element here. But you can also uh, use attribute selectors here for your custom components as well. Uh, so you can come in here and, and instead of this user card as my selector, I'm actually going to change this to be um, this attribute selector, uh, square bracket user card, okay? And now I can actually use this over here in an imp implementation. Uh, instead of having a custom DOM element, I can put that on any DOM element, kind of similar to how directive works, right? So I come in here and say, maybe I want this to be a, a div instead, and now I can put this attribute on here, user card, change this to div, And we should see everything fine. So does it what, uh, does yeah. it have to be the camel case there or can it be the dash, you know, because in Angular 1, if I, you know, do the camel case, I have to use a dash. Just to... Right. So um, I believe it's the style guide, the Angular IO style guide recommends that you're doing your attributes uh, with this camel case. Um, 
Yeah. So, and I believe we write our directives that way as well, right? So we write our directives with that, that name, uh, that formatting or whatever. So we kind of follow that in terms of the attribute because the directives are targeting that attribute as well. So um, the reasons why, I mean, if you think about some of the reasons that we might want to do this is when we do a custom element, right? We've got this custom element in the DOM. We got to do things like come in here and maybe add some stuff style to it uh, to display block. It's got no native style to it, right? Uh, but you also are incurring this extra DOM element when we do these uh, custom elements, right? And a lot of times you may have content inside your template that you just want to get inside of another element, and it might be useful to use this uh, in, a, in a native existing element. So like in this case, a div, or we could come in here and, and say we have a uh, section element, right? section. We could do the same thing. And so now you, now you have this ability to use your custom component, but not take on the uh, custom element that goes along with it to, to display it. So one, one good use case for this uh, that I know that I've used in the past is for, you know, things that rely on having to have certain hierarchy that you can't accomplish uh, if you were to put like custom elements in, you know, some one thing might be like SVG tags or another thing might be table rows and things like that. If you want to add special table row styling via custom, you know, some type of custom control. Um. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's a great point, because, I mean, it, it, you get in these scenarios where, right, I mean, you have like some styling or some some other theme or, or anything like that that you want to kind of have more more control over. And you really don't. I mean, I think a lot of it is that extra DOM element that you get in there. Right. That ends up kind of breaking the, the structure and you're taking on and, and uh, this kind of a thing that need to have that. OK. I believe also uh, you can use both selectors at once, just comma separating them. So if you wanted to have a component that was available for both the uh, tag name or based off of the uh, attribute, you can use both. So something like this right here? Yep. Yeah, right. and this is nice when you do a breaking change in one of your components and you want to be backward compatible. So you can still use the old selector and use the new one as well. Yep, yep. So we come in here, right, and do uh, change this to user card and user card. No, don't forget the closing. Yeah. There we go. So now we got the same support, right? Um, and I you could know, be wrong. I could be wrong, but I think that you, if you do it camel case like that, you can also do the dashes. But I, I'm. I'm not going to say that I think that we can, we can try it, but I could be wrong. You mean like leave it like this and then do the camel case and the usage? Yeah, I think you can. Right. Well, let's give it a shot. Maybe yeah. not. Yeah. <laughs> this is great. We'll just continue to learn as we're learning. Right, right. We'll just try. We'll just hack away here. Um, cool. Uh, there was something else I was going to say on that, but now I forgot. Oh, uh, yeah. So, and one of the reasons this works, right, is like a, a component is just a directive with a template, right? 
So it's kind of, you have some of the similar things that you can do in a directive at a component level. So, yeah. So that's my first tip. Um, that's probably my favorite tip to let you know, like I'm, I'm really digging this opportunity here to not have to have custom elements all the time yet be able to have this nested template stuff. I'm pretty geeked up about that. So um, that was my favorite. <laughs> okay. Um, any other comments on that? Or are we going to move on to the next one? Yeah, let's move on. Cool. Okay. So the next one I've got is um, uh, doing a input private field with getters and setters. So uh, in this scenario here, so I got the same, another plunker here. I've got the same type of starting thing here. I've got this user card component. Um, right now I've got this input of type user that we can use to, to send in this data, right? And maybe you want to be able to manipulate that in, in some way uh, for the data that's passed in uh, with some getters and setters on this, this property. So one of the things we could do here is we could come in here and make like a private backing field. Uh, we'll call this underscore user. And then we could have this input uh, get method. And actually I'm gonna do the input set method value. Do this user equals value. And I'll actually add some code here to change something here. Um, but we'll also get the getter in here. It's a name. We're going to do user. Get user, set user. There, okay. And so now we can have this uh, setter, you know, I could change some, some value in here. Let's say we wanted to, uh, uh, if value.name equals Jenny. Give her a star. So let's go value description. Let's use some string interpolation here. Uh, Yeah, Prunker is not the best ID. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's kind of run out of room here a little bit, but um, and we kind of got to wait. Okay, so so here I'm basically just, I want to keep using my same uh, name that I want to expose through my component API. So I want to keep this input of type user, or the, the name user, right, available. So if I go back to the app component, I want to allow people to still use this thing as, as user. Um, but I want to be able to, you know, alter the, the data that comes in in little ways with this getter and setter. Um, and I still want to, in my template, be able to use the, the term user as well. So I can make these getters and these setters with the same name user. Um, you put my add input decorator on the setter because that's the, the one that's going to get wound up, uh, wired up for the input coming in, right, from other um, components that implement and use this. 
um, and then just have this backing field, private backing field of whatever I want uh, to name that. And then now I can kind of have this parity of this the name user and, and can do some changes and stuff like that. One pro tip I found out the other day when I, I had a scenario like this where I was doing this, uh, TypeScript, you cannot do super uh, user or super dot user equal whatever. Um, it's a limitation of um, TypeScript's compiler. You can do it in Babel, though, but that's just an interesting pro tip if you're trying to do inheritance or something like that. It won't work quite right. Quite right. Yeah, that was a little snafu that you hit. So what, what was the answer to that? What did you end up having to do on that? <laughs> it was really gross. It was. Uh, it ended up being um, some type of getting the prototype and then like recursively calling up the prototype chain. I basically stole what uh, Babel does under the hood really and then made it a little more simpler. Um, but it, it was a funny work workaround that I had to end up doing that um, I just assumed TypeScript, you know, would compile it for me. And uh, it actually doesn't handle that scenario. They've got a bug out there, though. So I think they're they're working on it. Cool. And so that, that's, uh, let me just prototype that out really quick. So if we're uh, class, parent, and you wanted to have a uh, field user, right? You're saying this user card component extends parent and you wanted it on the setter is that correct i'm going to do uh, super is this a scenario that you hit or was it from a yeah. getter uh you were trying it was, to it was both it was both it was the getter and the setter i'm pulling up the little snippet i had for this um, you'll probably need to get rid of line 28 there we are declaring that same thing in the uh child class i like this live coding we're doing here <laughs> i know i kind of just hacking my field figure some stuff out okay so all right well maybe we'll we'll post that um that yeah and, and kind of show an example of that. Um, yeah, what, what's in your code? Um, it's something totally unrelated, unrelated but uh, I'm thinking that people maybe don't know uh, colon host in the styles. Yes, okay. Um, I, we didn't add this tip, but it's still useful. So, so if you want to... About this yeah. right here? Yeah. Yeah, so the colon host uh, style, um, the CSS shim that uh, Angular support has by default uh, when we have this uh, view encapsulation mode of um, emulated that's out of the box, supports these uh, uh, web component uh, shadow DOM type selectors that you can use, and, and Angular will shim that to provide support. So what I'm doing here with colon host, it actually knows that it's going to target the um, container element that that this component is being rendered on and allows you to style that component. Yeah. Um, do you know about slash deep slash? Yes. Yes. <laughs> and, um, do you want to demo that when we come around <laughs> to your turn? We could bring that up. No, just that um, since the style are limited to this uh, element, if you have a child element, uh, your style won't apply to it. So if you want to target a child element, you have to to add slash deep slash before uh, your selector. 
in the styles and it will um, remove the attribute uh, selector that Angular adds to shim the shadow uh, compartmentation. I'm not sure about the term. But uh, basically what it does is that um, you will uh, target all the selector on your page. So you have to put this in host so that you only target the children. So you have host and then slash deep slash and your selector and it will target all children of this element, even if, if they are different components. Right, so uh, what Olivia is referring to is on this user card right here with this uh, colon host, it's now targeting and, and Angular shimming this user card component with this ng host attribute that it's putting on there to shim those styles and to make that support for scoping your styles, right? Um, and then these styles for this colon host are getting uh, output and, and targeted for this selector. Uh, and then the deep allows it to, tells it to just basically not add this, um, this attribute selector to your style rules so that then that, that style that you put in there penetrates down through the components. I just can't get over myself putting CSS in JavaScript like that. It's just, I, I can't get, I can't get into it. Now, if it was, uh, I don't think you can do it yet. I know they're working on it where you could put actual variables in the CSS like that. That would be really cool. I could get behind that, but uh, just putting static CSS in the JavaScript just gives me tingles down my back. I don't know. <laughs> just to be a, uh... To point out a little detail there, it's technical on JavaScript. It's in TypeScript. So if that makes you feel a little bit better. Oh, <laughs> come on. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick up my pace here a little bit because I'm kind of monopolizing all the time here. I want to get to you, one you other, guys as well. One other, thing uh, I wanted, one other thing I wanted to bring up here is the user. You've got the user question mark there. Yes. Um, that's something I actually just uh, learned about the other day. Uh, you might want to. Say that real quick. Yeah, so that's the safe navigator operator, right? The Elvis operator. The, <laughs> say it again? The Elvis operator. Yeah. That, that's the legacy term for it, right? I, I like yeah. that term. I, I don't know where that came from, but I like that term. But I guess we refer to it now as the safe navigator operator. But it used to be called the Elvis operator. Um, and so what you can do is you can put this question mark in here on your objects, and it's basically going to... Um, look and say, okay, if user is not null, then, or un, not null or undefined, then I'll go ahead and try and access this next property off of it. Otherwise, if it's null I'm, or undefined, I'm just going to stop right there. So you won't get any template issues. So one of the things is with inputs, right? Inputs are not available uh, till uh, like ng on init lifecycle or beyond. So I've got this input set user right here. And it's actually available to start working with this value, is grabbing this value, but in the template, actually that doesn't have anything to do with it, sorry, scratch that. <laughs> Up in the template here, I've got user, and so the template's gonna start parsing that and, and try and use this user, but we don't have it into the ng on init lifecycle. Um, so there'll be a time at which user is actually null or undefined. And so you get an error in your template rendering when you go to, during the runtime of this. And so this safe navigator operator allows it to say, okay, it may be null or undefined for a while. I'm going to be okay with that. 
Yeah, I used to use NGF <laughs> before I kind of realized this. And did you say it was the Elvis operator? Yeah, it used to be called the Elvis operator. Yeah, because it That's... looks like uh, the Elvis hair, you know, with uh -huh. the banana. That's funny. I, I'm on vacation this week and I was actually at Graceland yesterday in Memphis. <laughs> nice. Doing some angular or what? No, just hanging no. out. <laughs> All right. All right. <laughs> okay. My next tip is uh, wiring up to the uh, output uh, using that. When we use an output decorator, right? We're buying it, we're providing an API for our component to allow events to kind of bubble back up from our component that people can that implementers can subscribe to um, and one of the things you we i've ended up having before is i, I kind of want to have a component with uh an event that i want to say look th this component has a button like an okay button and um, when you click on it i want to allow people to subscribe to that event uh, through this output but i really don't want to display that okay button unless somebody wants to use it and instead of having like an input property that toggles whether or not the out, the okay button is visible or not um, or is part of the ui uh, it'd be nice if i could just sit there and say okay look if if somebody subscribed to the output then show the okay button if somebody didn't subscribe to the output then just hide it right and we can actually do that so let me show an example real quick of that i'm going to add this uh, at output I'm going to say, uh, okay, click. I'm going to add this up here. And you have to say that it's a new event emitter. Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to do this and I'll go new event emitter. Okay, um, so I've got this output, okay, click. I'm gonna go back to my app component. I'm going to wire this up here. I'm gonna put, um, okay, click. On click. Add a method for this on click. Let's do a handy alert. And back in my user card component, I will add this button. I wish I, I wish uh, Plunker had Emmet so I could get some auto complete here. That'd be nice. Should log a feature request. I think it actually does when you're working with HTML files, but since you're working in the uh, template string, it does not. It does not. Does VS Code or Atom or whatever have that? WebStorm does. WebStorm does. Don't know about VS Code. Not WebStorm yet, but I think Yeah, WebStorm actually has syntax highlighting in templates, which is really awesome because you can see if you have, a, for example, you're using a property that is undefined in your component or something like that. It will show an error. Okay, so I think I got this set up here. So if I click okay, no, I don't. What do I gotta do here? What am I missing? Got my event emitter. I'm emitting the event on click. Yeah. This dot okay. Uh, okay click. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Awesome naming. 
Naming's hard, right? <laughs> <laughs> okay. So now we got that thing wired up, right? Um, but now we don't see go, all out, but okay. Go back here. I'm going to add one more of this. Did that alert fire? It didn't show coming across. Yeah, let me. I'll do it again here. So, okay, let's see. Okay, so I've got two user cards in here. They both got this OK. The first one I'm going to click on, we got wired up to OK click, so we see that, right? The second one is not wired up, but we still see our OK button. Um, so we can make this API a little bit better over here. We can come in here and say, um, uh, let's see. OK is visible. We'll set that to false by default, and we'll go ng if on this thing. Okay, is visible. Okay, and then just like the inputs and the the inputs and the outputs, uh, ng on init is when we'll have this thing available and wired up. So we're going to do the lifecycle event ng on init, and in here we're going to check so. Uh, the uh, on-click event emitter uh, has a property off of it. Let's see this. Okay, so you did a typo. It's ng on init. Man, thank you. Teamwork. Okay, this dot okay is visible equals this dot okay click dot. Um, Awesome, I forget what it is. I think it's... Um, listeners? Listeners, is it listeners? I don't know, I'm just guessing. I think it's uh, um, observers. Dot length, greater than zero, how about that? There it is, sweet. Okay, so put this on a new line here so we can see. So we're basically saying, look, at ng on init, Angular will have wired up our outputs and our inputs, so now we can check the value on that thing. OK click is an event emitter, which under the hood is a subject, I believe, uh, which has a property called observers, which keeps a collection of anything that's subscribed to it. Um, and in this case, Angular has subscribed via that event binding right in our app component over here with this um, syntax here. We've subscribed to this OK click output with our event handler, essentially. And so over here, we can check and we see, do we have um, any subscribers? If we do, then we can set OK as visible to true, otherwise false. Um, and that way, we've got this nice little API that if people wire up to the output, we can show the button. If they don't wire up to the output, we can avoid showing the button. And so it makes it a little bit easier for people to implement our component. So, so you, you could plug the ng-if directly on okclick.observers.lens so that it doesn't only work at ng on init, but also later, if someone subscribes later. Right here, we could replace this yeah. with, with this right here? Yeah, okay. without the this. Okay, see that? Something like to remove that. this. Sorry. In the template, yeah, it should work. Cool. And if someone subscribes later, it should update, yes. I guess. 
I like that. Yeah, because then, because then, if that changes right over time, then we got it. Because what I had before, ng on init, that's just going to be the first initial time that 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 component is loaded. That we've got that check. So now it's kind of a live thing going on here, right? Cool. Yeah. Cool. All right. Let's get somebody else here. So uh, who wants to go next? Austin. Woo. Yeah. Sure. Okay. So let me go ahead and get out of my screen share mode here. I really like that last step. I'm definitely going to be using that in my applications. Yeah. I have to, to find a use case, but it's a nice trick. It's a nice okay. way to provide conditional functionality within your uh, components if uh, the listener or the parent wants that there or not. Conditional functionality. Okay. Everybody see Austin's screen? Yeah, Inception. Yeah, we got the time bandits going on here. Uh, I'm having a little bit of headphone difficulty. Hold on a second. Okay, can you guys hear me still? Yep. All right. Um, so I'm going to show a couple different things around uh, bindings, listeners, and then templates. So the first thing that I have here is um, uh, something that we kind of often do is kind of set, uh, you know, widths or heights via inputs. And Angular 2 has this like really awesome binding syntax where you can, you know, do, you know, uh, you know, style.width, right? And... Um, yeah, don't forget to share your screen. Oh, I'm not sharing my screen? No, you removed it. No, man, we get to watch you talking about code. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, um, <laughs> sorry about that. Uh, Angular 2 has this, like, really awesome um, binding syntax. It's I think it's one of my favorite things about Angular 2, where, you know, you can say style, and then I can do width. And you can do this with like a variety of different, you know, attributes. It's not just, you know, styles. You can also do, um, you know, attributes like uh, hidden or values or et cetera. So one thing that I do quite a bit is pass, you know, widths and heights uh, to my components. And in this particular example here, I'm setting a box width to 150, right? And so you'll kind of see this over here. It's not getting set right because, you know, something typical that you have to do is, you know, something like this. And now I just broke that. So now that I set this to 150 PX, you know, it's, it's sized right. But that's kind of, that's not very cool. So Angular 2 has this new ability where you can do this style.width.px and now it will automatically take my number and then append px to it. I think that's really awesome. Um, it's something I, I did quite a bit in the past where I was putting px or stuff like that at the end of all of them and uh, now so I have this ability just to bind that in line like that. Is that just px or will it also work with like em or any other units as well? Any other units? I haven't actually tried it with percentages. Let's see what it does here. You're going to have to make that less than 100. Well, it actually did work, so it's 150% now. Can you bump the font up, too, you know, or increase the zoom there so we can get that a little bigger? Yeah. 
please. Thanks. Is that better? A little more. <laughs> We're not going to give you any room to type. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> okay, so you can also do it with percentages, M's, RAM, whatever your thing that you like to do is. BX is what I typically do most often. So now another thing is, you know, what if I want to do this, but I want to put this on my host element? Um, so Angular 2, whoa, you guys don't mess me all up here. Angular 2 also let you, also has host bindings where um, you can, if you use the host binding decorator, you can do the same thing. You can say style.width.px. And now I can also put that on an input. So now my input is automatically going to bind uh, the style width of my box width uh, to the host element here. So I think that's pretty cool too. This is like all messed up now. I like that host binding syntax. Yeah, it's really awesome. Kind of building on that host binding syntax, you can also... <laughs> God, you guys, you can also use host listeners. Um, so something... Yeah, you know, here, I need to reset this back, guys. Now let's try zooming in again. I didn't like it when I zoomed it in. No, it's not a fan. Um, so something that you can also do is host listeners. So I can say, on my host listener, I can say, um, you know, I want to do a click. And then you can actually say, uh, uh, if you don't pass this, it'll automatically pass the, the event, right? Um, so... Uh, typically, you know, what you want to do is you don't really want the event. You want the target of the event or you want something like that. And now I can, you know, put in this uh, string interpolation here where I can say the, uh, I, in my arguments of this click handler, I only care about the target. So now I've got a host listener where I'm binding to the click event and I'm only pulling the target. And then I want to set my target, uh, to basically just the class list. So now you can see when I come over here, um, the class list has a, uh, uh, it's got a yellow on it. And so I pulled my, um, I pulled the, the yellow class list out of here. So you can do this with, you know, basically anything, right? We can get crazy here where we go like enter HTML. I think this might go recursive. That might be a bad idea. Oh, okay. Um, but you can do you can do all kinds of stuff like that, so it's really cool. And you can yeah. um, you can do the same thing uh, uh, with your host listeners if you were to do it, you know, um, you know, if you were to do it just like this. Um, but obviously, you're gonna you're gonna do your argument when you do it like that. Yeah, and did did you know that? You can use the host listener to listen to window and body and stuff like that as well. Yep. So I'm actually uh, I'm showing that in my next one. Wait ahead of me, Olivier. <laughs> I wanted um, to show up. Um, yeah. So he spoiled the surprise, but um, 
in this example here, I'm using a host listener and I'm, I'm also listening to the window resize. So now anytime the window is resized, I want to, uh, I'm going to go a little further here and I'm going to say, I want the event and then I want the target of that. And then I want the inner width of that target. So now kind of building on all those examples I showed you, I'm going to set the box width to the inner width of the window. And then the box width has a host binding that's going to bind to the style width VX. So now anytime I like, you know, resize my window here, let's open this up, this will make it trigger. Well, that's no fun. <laughs> it worked originally, it's not working now. I don't know what happened. Yeah, because you're on, you're listening to wits and you're changing the height. Oh, duh. <laughs> Here, let's do this now. Ah, there we go. Good call. So you can see it updated a couple times there. Cut off. For some reason, Plunker doesn't like me today. 382. Yeah, um, nice. Now, we're going to jump into something a little more crazy now, and we're going to talk about template outlets. So, one thing that um, you might want to do is you might want to build a component that uh, let's say you pass in your own template to, right? So I've got, you know, this directive called my template and I have a template ref here. Um, then I'm going to say hi, and then I'm going to say the name, and then I'm going to say um, dates.toLocalString, et cetera. And then let's say I want to pass the name that I passed in the template. Right, so um, you can use this let keyword here, and you can actually bring in the context, bring in a context um, from the my template or the you know the host uh, directive that's going to be projecting this. So I've got a template here um, where I'm passing. I'm, I want to get the name reference, and then I'm going to say hi, strong name, and then I'm going to say the date. So I define this and I say my template, I'm passing the name as customer, and that's in my app component. I've got a customer here, it's got the name, and I'm gonna, I wanna see the date. And this is really cool also because it can actually access the parent component, you know, where it was declared at, it can also access variables within that. So then I'm gonna come down here and I've got my template director or component, and it says hi, or it says welcome, and then I say template, and then I say ng template outlet. I pass my template that I declared up here, and then I can pass it a context as well. So I can say name equals whatever. And then the name is actually, you know, one of the inputs to this component. So I'm actually passing the context that's within this chart or with the within the my template into the template ref and I'm getting a hold of that via the let name and then using that within my template 
So this is really, this is pretty advanced, but it's something that's really cool if you're kind of trying to build your own, um, you know, complex components. Let's say you're building a, a table component. It's a really great example. Um, you're building a table component and you want to be able to allow the component uh, end users to be able to pass their own template for each cell. And or let's say a modal as well. You know, you want to be able to allow people to pass their own modal template. And so this is, I think this is a really, really cool feature that is not even possible really in Angular 1. Yeah, so templates is what um, template directives are using. Uh, template directives are the directives that have a star at the start, like ng-if, ng-4, and stuff like that. So they change the, the, their own content and replace it with templates. And then um, they descriptor the arguments that you give them. So when you do ng4 and you define a bunch of let, so you say let uh, value of my array, for example, uh, it will, behind the scene, it will define let with value in, on, your, on the template. And it will bind... Um, all kinds of properties, such as index and stuff like that, if you define them after ng4. So template is really advanced stuff, but it's something that uh, powers a lot of um, the inner, inner workings of Angular 2. And it's something that you should definitely learn, I think, if you want to do uh, advanced UI component. Yeah, uh, I did a, a talk for you guys on Angular Air not too long ago talking about um, our, our, the data table project that I wrote. And I actually use these pretty extensively to allow users to define their own cell templates um, in, in line. And it, it ends up being really, really powerful so that you can kind of mix outer context, the cell context, et cetera, and kind of pass your own uh, templates like that. Plus, you don't have to remember the word transclusion and explain to other developers what the heck transclusion means. Uh, transclusion feels really obvious to me. <laughs> Just kidding. Yeah, but content projection is uh, a much simpler term to understand. Oh, yeah, so much easier. <laughs> yeah, I think that these are. this is something like anything with this template component stuff is something that's really important for people that are working in Angular to really kind of get a grasp on and understand and learn because, you know, everything is the component tree, right? And we're building components all over the place. So to really understand what you have at your disposal for pulling off these things are going to help you to architect your component structure as you go forward in any Angular app that you build. Yeah. And so kind of building on uh, what Bracco briefly said about content projection, I also have one of those examples lined up. So in this example, uh, you know, ng-transclude, right, that we had in Angular 1, well, they, you know, we've got ng-content now. And the really, really cool thing about ng-content, and this is, uh, again, one of my you know, most favorite things, is that you can do uh, name slots. So I can say... In my section, I want to only see, uh, I want to have like different slots and I want a slot that is like the header slot. So users can pass a, 
uh, a header and then everything else will be like the default slot so in in the above in, in this temp in this component here i have a section right my section is a yellow box and it's got a header and then when i click on the header i'm going to toggle the visibility of the content which is the default slot so now up in my um, my host component here I say my section and then I say the header and I say hi and then I've got my body and I don't even have to wrap it in any anything it's just the default slot so I say somebody so now I've got this like awesome template uh, section component where it says hi and then I've got some body and now I can click this to toggle that so that's really powerful for doing things like sections, modals, all kinds of, there's so many different use cases that you can, you know, start building components around with this type of thing. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> so I guess it's my turn, right? All right, Olivier, let's see. Uh, so let's start with something simple. Um, share screen. Okay, so um, I wanted to just uh, come back on, on these, uh, which are um, that you can access uh, template elements from within your templates. Uh, if you if you want to cut out the the if you have really simple bindings and you don't want to use uh, internal properties in your component, you can directly access. Uh, these using uh, dash and you, you put here the name that you want. And for example, here uh, on my input, um, I can say text uh, equal my input.value and my input.value will be uh, the value of this input, which I name my input. So when I type, you can see here that the binding works because I define text as this value. Um, and it makes more sense if you want to um, use event emitters. So let's say I have an event emitter named uh, key up. Uh, I haven't defined it, but you could do something like emit uh, my input dot value, and it will uh, immediately emit, emit this value without uh, having to type into the dollar event uh, or without having to use an ng model. Um, so this is kind of a quick access. Uh, another thing that you can do is that if you have a child component, another component in your, in your template, you can access the properties of this component. So for example, here I have a child component with um, a simple title property, uh, which is child title. And in my app, you can see that um, the first here inside child, and I saw a I output the child title, but here I define a div and I can access my child, which I define uh, in this uh, variable, uh, and access the title property of this component uh, directly from the parent component. And um, this allows you as well to do uh, some weird trick stuff where you can emit. Um, with using the output of your child component from your parent. Um, I'm not sure if you want to do that, but uh, it's a possibility. And you can 
well, you can access anything. Uh, you can define the inputs uh, also of your child. So let's say that I want to do my child title equal uh, equal my input the value should work, and I can redefine this property from the parent. Um, obviously. <laughs> You would do something like this and use an input. It's probably much better than accessing the property, but um, yeah, don't it can teach be bad habits. <laughs> yeah, it's a really bad habit. But sometimes you use um, components that you haven't that you're importing and you don't have inputs. Um, it it can be useful. Uh, another like, thing, another yeah. thing that you can do with this is you can actually access child components of that child component, so you can kind of go traverse uh your your children by you know you know not only can you do you know inputs or properties you can use you know uh you can access children components of that child yeah right as long as you define them um here um okay so this was the first trick the second one um now let's do this one in the last uh the third one <laughs> uh, is um, a trick um, that maybe you know if you've used Angular 1, but it's not obvious that in ng4 you can define a track by function. Uh, and this function will help you track um, how the element should be added, added to the DOM. So you can see here um, that in, in this, uh, I'm just doing a simple ng4 without track by. And um, let's hope that you can see this. Um, when I click on update items, it will emit a new um, collection, uh, which was created here. I'm not updating the current collection. I'm creating a new one. So when I click this, um, you can see that it refresh, it will add all the DOM elements, remove them, and add them again. Um, they are all blinking when I click. Now, let's say that you use track by, because you know that um, what, you're Sorry. what you're updating here um, is actually you're using the collection, and you're just pushing um, the IDs, uh, which are supposed to be the same values, because you're using the index here. Um, so if you use track by, you have to use a function uh, usually because um, you you should return something. And this is, uh, if you don't use a function here and use item.id, uh, it will probably not work the way you want because, um, or you have to use the LVS operator or something. Um, so here I'm using uh, track by. And when I, when I update the items, I'm just returning the index, or it could be item.id, uh, to let Angular know that uh, I'm just adding a new element to the list. And you can see that only the last element is blinking now. It doesn't remove all of the other elements. And when you're doing um, functional programming, and you're supposed to return a new object every time, um, this is something that you should use because Angular doesn't know uh, with the reference that changed. It doesn't know uh, if those are the same elements, even if they have the same values. So it will just 
uh, remove and add everything again. Um, if you're using optional programming and you're just pushing to the existing collection, then obviously Angular will know it's a, that it's the same reference and just add the last item. But um, this is a trick for optimization um, that really helps when you have really, really large uh, arrays and doing or you're doing a lot of ng4s at the same times uh, for example if your collection is outputted at multiple times uh, at multiple uh, yeah um okay i think these are things that are these are things yeah. that are pretty important to kind of know in your toolbox to be using kind of out of the gate right uh, things that right now as you're developing and starting your apps and you're seeing this stuff that you don't feel the performance hit of this maybe right off the bat but over time, this thing will come back and, and hit you, and then trying to you know work this in later. I mean, if you kind of are are familiar with the the uh, patterns, you know how to do this track by and stuff. You can kind of really set your application development up for the future in a good spot. Yeah, I yeah. think a general rule of thumb is to always use track by um, if you're doing any type of thing like that, so that you can. You know, make sure you're going to get the best performance. Also, it's pretty critical when doing on push change detection. Yeah, and also if you're doing animations, um, let's say that you're doing a library that does uh, these three graphs, and you're um, you're repeating. Um, for example, you're doing a, a graph with uh, bars, and when you add a bar, it just grows. Uh, and when you remove it, it shrinks. Um, Angular with uh, ng4, if you if you don't use track by, it will just remove and add all of them. So it will shrink and grow again, even if it's, it's the same value. So if you have animations, you should definitely use track by. Okay. Great so, Great point. Yeah. <laughs> last trick. Um, one of the last three. This one is a bit more advanced. Um, you can uh, you can use Angular to dynamically add new components uh, in your templates um, without uh, declaring them before. So you have you can add conditional uh, declarations. Um, be careful because I don't think this work this works with AOT, um, but what you have to do uh, in your in your module, you have to declare um, your dynamic components as entry components, so that Angular generates metadata for them as well. Even if uh, by parsing your DOM, it doesn't know that you use these components, but since you can use it, you have to declare it as an entry component here. Um, and then in your root component, um, so this is a little trick that we have to use now, um, and it's a little bit dirty, but you have to keep a reference on the view container ref, which is um, the this component, and you, you keep it as a property of your uh, root component. And this is important because when you dynamically add component, you need to have a reference on a template. Um, so if you want to add a component, Anywhere, let's say that you you define you do a model, and you want to add your component uh, outside of your current component. You want to add it uh, next to the top of your application. You need to keep this reference here so that you can do that. Um, 
And then, um, so here I have a child, child component. And in this child component, um, when I click the button, um, I will add uh, my a new component uh, to this template. But uh, I could also uh, not use the template and use the, the, the app ref that I just told you about. And um, this dynamic loader service, um, here it is. Um, so I might uh, maybe send it as a as a gist um, if you want to look at it closer. Um, so this method append component will uh, use the reference the view container ref and uh, create a new component in it uh, using this method. And this method uh, component factory resolve uh, it's using the component factory resolver to generate a new component uh, using in injection. And uh, you're giving it uh, the type of component that you want. So this is a type. And when you call it from the child, you will give him uh, the class that you want to create. And here, so uh, the resolve component factory will take this class and generate a new component. And then it will create this new component inside the template here. And what you return is a reference on this new component. So you have access to the, uh, to the component if you want. And if you don't want to use um, append to an existing template, uh, I define this method create component that will use the view container ref from the root component. and um, this uh, view com uh, get view container ref. Uh, it's just uh, taking an application ref, which is here. Application ref is a reference on your root component, and um, you this this is the dirty part that will uh, not be necessary later if they if they fix this issue. Um, I this is where. I actually know the the fix for this um, for that issue. By the way, yeah, yeah, it's coming. I, I won't get into it because it's crazy. It's crazy advanced, but uh, pull request time. Yeah, I don't no. think they want they want us to do that actually um, because it's complicated for AOT and stuff like that. No, but I actually I actually talked to Mishka about it, and <laughs> um, the reason why they don't want to do this is because your application ref that could be anything. That's not actually a. Um, it's not actually. It doesn't have to be a component. It, it's not relying on that. Um, so, it, it, in the case of like AOT or Universal, that that might not be a DOM element that you're appending to. And mm -hmm. so, what you have to actually do is, you know, like what you said is get the get the view container ref, or you can you know manually append it and hook change detection. Which is, I think, uh, and, and they also in two three uh, uh, added a new API called Attach View that helps you with yeah, this as well. Right, I haven't updated my code. Um, so this is just um, advanced stuff that you probably don't need to do uh, later. Um, but here, um, this is something that is available already and defined. 
so you create the component uh, based on the class that you give it, and you append it to your template. And here, uh, it returns a, a dynamic component reference. And um, yeah, I'm using the template, uh, using the, the reference on my template, uh, which I explained uh, earlier. And when I click here, you see that I'm creating new components. Um, so I've talked with um, some of the guy uh, behind, for example, UI Ghostripe or Rob, um, and they told me that you shouldn't do that. <laughs> because uh, Angular likes to know everything about your application before um, before you you run it. Uh, but I find this useful. Um, I don't always uh, know what kind of uh, component I'm creating. Uh, let's say that I'm doing a widget factory and uh, based on uh, defined uh, from options of my users, I will uh, create this widget or another one. Um, this is stored in my database, so I don't know which, which one I should put in my template and I don't want to have uh, 10 or 20 components and just hide them with ng-if. I'm not sure it's a better way to do it. I prefer to dynamically inject them. One thing that uh, they suggested was to kind of use like a, con a global container, right? Mm -hmm. So um, something like a uh, what Material 2 calls a portal and you just kind of put that in your root, and then that's where everything gets injected to. So you can use a service to get a reference to that once it's appended in the root, and now my child components can use that service to actually append everything into that. Uh, yeah, that's, that's what I was doing before I did this, um, this trick, but I don't like the fact that when you're uh, using a model component, you have to put a model somewhere in your in your template so that you can inject your con content in it. Um, I really yeah, like this, to the suggested it. approach was to use like a, a component uh, like that as just everything. It's not just for modals; it could be tooltips, yeah. everything like that. Yeah, I'd rather just get a reference on my app component. But anyway. Um, okay, um, the last trick that I have, uh, it's not a Planka demo, but um, I've, I had an application, I have an application at work where I do a lot of inputs, outputs, and um, I have graphs and tables and stuff like that, so a lot of bindings everywhere. And whenever my user, uh, whenever I was interacting with the page, uh, in production it was, Okay, but in development, uh, in development mode, it was starting to freeze uh, my browser because I had so many inputs and outputs and logic in uh, ng after init and in outputs in getters in setters and stuff like that. That um, that the change detection uh, actually took more time to run that than uh, it was allowed to because uh, in Angular. Uh, in zone, um, the fires change detection every uh, 16 milliseconds, I think. So it shouldn't take more than that to 
um, to check your templates and your bindings and stuff. And when it takes more time, uh, then you can see that your CPU is running at 100% and that it's uh, change detecting all the time. And when you want to do anything else, then you have a problem because it starts to be to slow down and animation are jerky and stuff like that. And this was in Chrome. I won't even tell you how it was in Internet Explorer. So um, I I just um, this uh, read um, this in the Dev Tools. You have this uh, audit, and you can uh, do. Uh, let's let's do it on, on the plan cloud. So when you run audit. Um, it will record everything uh, when you reload the page, for example. It will reload. Uh, actually, this one, not the one I wanted to. Sorry, profiling. Um, so yeah, you can uh, record um, a lot of stuff on your on your application, um, and you can record the CPU and you can record allocation, heap snapshots, and stuff like that. And in the timeline, you can do something similar, but it will capture what you're doing on the page. So let's say that you're doing this, for example. Um, you will see that whenever you click, uh, do an action, it does a lot of stuff here. And you can zoom on it. And uh, it's going to be complicated on a small screen here. But eventually, if you click on this, you can see the call tree, and you can find where your application is starting to take too much time. And that's what I did for my application, because uh, it was running low. And I found out that it was the change detection that was the problem. So um, I researched, and I did uh, an optimization using unpush everywhere. I changed all my components in my world application using unpush. And this was the result. This was the only change I did. And this is my application after using Unpush. Uh, you can see that the change detection is really, really small. And my application was running in Internet Explorer like, like on Chrome. It was fast and everything. So uh, using Unpush, uh, what it does is that uh, it only detects uh, stuff. In, it only checks your templates and apply new changes when you do inputs or outputs. And um, you can manually uh, give it, um, tell it to detect the change using the change detector uh, ref. But um, usually you you're supposed to use inputs or outputs. And now my application is fast. So use unpush. That's my advice. Uh, because it's good for you. <laughs> Sorry if this was a bit long. Cool. Very cool. All right. Mike. Oh, yeah. You ready? I'm going to continue with that thought. Is that cool? Yeah. Yeah. All right, cool. All right, let me know if you can see my screen. Yeah. Hey, go figure. I'm going to use okay, the CLI. Just just to let everybody know we're running over, but that's okay. We got too much goodness here. We're just going to keep flowing it out. And hey, this is recorded. You can watch it, whatever you want. So we're going to keep going here. So Mike. Cool. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to generate a component with the CLI. Go figure out. I'm going to use the CLI here. 
So I generate this component here. I'm just going to go take a look at it real quick. And I generated a normal component. And in here, we get our normal selector and everything else. Super. However, carrying on to Olivier's point, if we wanted to create a super component or something that is using push, we can come up with a fast component, right? By using something called change detection. And we can specify that we want our change detection strategy to be on push. So come in here, generate. And I haven't tested this in a while, so I'm going to take a look. Um, and that was just because he was using it here. So I wanted to take a look and see. And now here we see that um, in this new template, we are now injecting in change detection strategy so that when, uh, when you're specifying the change detection, you get on push uh, by default. Uh, it's a real quick way to uh, specify that as you're generating your components with the CLI. So just to carry on to make things a little bit uh, more convenient and a little bit faster there. Yes, use unpush. And if you want to use it everywhere, we can go ahead and we can open up AngularCLI.json and come in here and specify a default of saying that everything is going to be on push. All right. On here, I'm just going to save that. I'm going to come back to my command line. I'm going to specify a, another one, and we're going to call this uh, for you, Olivier. We're going to make this one for you. And I'm not going to specify change detection here because I've changed it already within my um, Angular CLI.json, the config file. So if I come up here and look at that one, you can see that it does pick that up and already set that for us by not having to specify it at all. So you can set that globally for your entire application. Generate a component, it's automatically going to give you some on-push action. Awesome. I just gave a thumbs up, but I'm sharing my screen, so you didn't see that at all. <laughs> all right, so that's tip number one uh, to carry on what uh, Olivier had. Uh, tip number two, um, actually, Olivier already showed this, but I want to uh, give it a little bit more credit. Uh, so I have just here a little to-do application. You can click and toggle, and you can see that my child element, the to-do item inside of a to-do list, is or exposing an event called toggled. So if I come in and I look at my to-do item, I'm creating my event emitter and I'm gonna go ahead and I have an event handler, of a function in here that is uh, toggling uh, or calling toggled, which is that, emitting that event. But I have a extra little step in here that I have a method on my class. Well, maybe you don't actually want to do that and you wanna clean up your uh, component to be as simple as possible get rid of that function, get rid of that interim step, and specify here, and you don't need this because you're in your template, and you can just specify the event emitter, and you're going to next out the to-do automatically from within there, and it will um, save you a little extra step and a little bit extra code within your uh, component. So just to kind of can make things a little bit more concise by putting that within your template versus uh, adding the extra event handler within your component. Yeah, it's also good when you have nested components and you want to uh, bring an output from within the last children to the top parent. You just um, listen to the child event and re-emit it up there. So yes. you don't want to add too much logic in your component for that. Absolutely. Uh, the next thing I wanted to show, um, anybody have any other questions on that real quick before I moved on? Yeah, cool. So in here I have this uh, thing, and actually Lucas Rubicki showed this at Angular Connect, um, is a little um, min-max ladder so that you can't get to an invalid state. If you move your max below your min, um, it'll drag the other one with you so that you can't get to an invalid state. And that's being done using the uh, pairwise operator. 
um, which you can see right here. Uh, it's an RxJS operator. So what it's doing is that it's listening to everything coming through the stream, except for pairwise will give you the latest item coming through and the previous as an array. So I can get those two values coming in through here as the new value and the old value. And I just do a comparison if the old values uh, of the min is not equal to the new value of the min, then I know that that's the value that changed. And then I can come in here and say that, all right, well, the min is greater than the max. That's invalid. So I'm filtering that out here. So I know that it's invalid. And therefore, it won't uh, continue to process at all. And then through the form API, the uh, reactive forms, I'm able to set the value for the um, maximum and move that along. And then that value will then reflow through. Oh, the so same, this is, same scenario here. This is a scope that the watch. <laughs> Uh, yeah, almost, yeah. It's kind of giving you the old value and the new value, just like a uh, watchword, yeah. And it kind of allows you a little bit of uh, flexibility to do some different operations within there. Nice. So, pairwise operator, take a look at it. Um, I have a couple HTTP things, uh, so appreciate everybody sticking around for a little bit extra here. So the first thing I have is I just, I'm using the um, Star Wars API here. I'm just making a simple call to get that. Um, start, I'm storing that in something called film as an observable. And then I'm mapping off of that, the director, I'm getting that from the film and I'm mapping that I only want the director here. Right. And the same thing with the title. So as I load the data, you see that they're coming in a little bit staggered actually. So you can see one and then the other. I'm not sure if that's coming across. Uh, but the interesting piece here is that as I do that, as I'm making that call, each item here is actually making its own HTTP call. So I'm making that call twice. We don't really want that to happen, especially if you're making a rather expensive call. So the way to get around that is to bring in another RxJS operator called share. You can see I'm bringing that in here. So if I come in here and as I pull in this film uh, observable, I just want to call share, which basically says, hey, share this one across anybody that's uh, utilizing this observable or uh, mapping off of it or doing anything off of it so that it can be shared and utilized more than once. Uh, so here you yeah. can see that um, as I make that call, I'm only making the HTTP call once. So you know, I'm not taxing my server. I'm not taxing or taxing the network uh, by making extra calls, as well as uh, the fact that these two pieces of data are loaded uh, at the same time because it's only making the single HTTP call. Yeah, and what, one thing important when you're using share is that you have to handle the errors because if you don't handle errors um, when, um, and it fails, it will kill all of your uh, subscribed um, to, to this shared operator, to this shared observable. That is correct. Um, the other piece that I wanted to show, and do we have time to show one more thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah do it. Perfect. So the last thing I want to show is that a lot of people like to have their own customized HTTP interceptor type uh, um, system set up within their application to be able to control. Maybe you're sending a header. The scenario I've been coming across a lot is sending a custom HTTP header across with each request. So what I have here is I, I have a, a separate file set up for custom HTTP, uh, which I need to provide. And I'll, we'll go take a look at that here in a second. But instead of injecting in um, HTTP from Angular, I'm going to inject in this new custom HTTP. And we can see here that it still works. And coming over to look at that particular file, um, I just have a user service here to kind of mimic the idea of having an auth token. 
can see here, setting doesn't even do anything. Um, getting that out of the way, uh, we have a custom uh, HTTP that is taken in two different things through uh, the constructor injection. The actual Angular HTTP service, which is uh, going to be, this is a wrapper around, and then a user service so that I can get those tokens. Then I've um, also implemented the four different um, HTTP methods, uh, get, post, put, and delete. And all it's doing is a call through uh, to the actual HTTP library. But I'm also uh, making this other private call to something called get options, where I'm passing in the options here and I'm passing that along to Angular's HTTP library. And what I'm doing here is I am um, making it immutable and creating a new instance of options or just returning an empty object. And then I'm creating an HTTP header, headers object and setting the authorization token to whatever I'm getting out of my user service so that every request now that I'll be making, instead of injecting in Angular's HTTP service, I'm injecting in my custom one and utilizing it the same way that I would with Angular's HTTP service because it's just a wrapper around it. It's just a nice little pattern to be able to follow uh, to be able to get that in there. Yeah, um, I do something like that. Um, one thing that is nice is that I can uh, in catch errors on, uh, for example, 401 um, HTTP calls so that I can uh, log out the user and say you don't have the right to do this call or things like that. I can handle some of the errors and just throw back the other one. Absolutely. I think that's very helpful uh, for users of your application so that um, you have a consistent um, error pipeline or handling of those situations. Uh, that mm -hmm. if you are somebody who disables your token from the server or anything else, uh, it'll be consistent that it'll automatically be navigated back to like the login screen, for instance, or uh, the similar message being shown uh, within yeah, the application. Exactly. Kind of like the interceptors in Angular 1. Absolutely. Yeah. And that was what I had. Um, awesome. Yeah. Perfect. Thanks, Mike. No problem. I'm going to turn off my screen share here. All right. So we covered a lot of stuff. Um, we have another one of these episodes here pretty soon, probably. Uh, we have a big, big old list of uh, other things that we didn't get to that I think we can fill another show with. So uh, definitely want to plan one of these in the future again. Uh, anybody else have anything last they want to add, uh, plug or anything? I've got a couple things, but uh, anybody else want to do something real quick before I do that? Or are we all good? Okay. I am good. All right. This was awesome. Cool. Was that? This was awesome. I love this. Yeah, it was cool. Cool. Okay, so I've got a couple things I want to talk about. Um, Austin and Olivier have this uh, library, NG2D3, that does charting. Um, that's available out there, open source. We'll have a uh, link in the show notes unless you guys – is there a short link for it? Uh, just search NG2D3 on GitHub. You will find okay. it. So NG2D3 on GitHub. Um, it's a charting uh, library for doing charts and graphs and stuff like that, right, With uh, inside your Angular applications. So it's pretty cool. Um, check that out. We're actually going to have a show coming up on D3 uh, in a couple weeks uh, where these guys are going to be talking about that. One thing that's really, one thing that's really cool about it, and I just want to, like, make this uh, uh, really uh, – clear is it, it's not a wrapper around d3 it, it's actually drawing 
the SVGs using Angular. So you get all the awesome goodness of Angular, you know, binding, et cetera, and animations with, um, you know, when drawing these SVGs and charts and things like that. And so we can't do it right now, but universal rendering is a possibility as we look towards the future. Um, so it'll be really, really cool when we're able to do that type of stuff. And uh, yeah, it's pretty exciting. I'm, I'm really pumped to talk about it with you guys. Cool. Yeah, so we're going to dive deeper into that um, in an upcoming episode here. So it should be really good. So don't miss that one. Um, next week, we've got uh, NGRX with Mike Ryan. So we're going to be uh, diving into that with this Redux pattern type of stuff. So that should be a really great show. We've got several other shows in the pipeline coming up here. You can check that out on uh, angularair.com and see what we've got upcoming. Uh, last thing I want to plug is uh, Ben Lesh and Tracy Lee have a new RX workshop that they've got going on now. So we talked a little bit about RxJS and some stuff here. Um, and they've got that available um, with some upcoming training. Uh, you can check that out at rxworkshop.com. And they actually have a $50 off code that they wanted to offer if you use the code Angular Air, all one word. So uh, if you want to dive into RxJS, really start learning that stuff, um, it gets kind of complicated with all the terminology and everything going on. So there's definitely a, a path to learning there for you available. So. All right. Thanks a lot to everybody that helped participate and shared all, all this knowledge today. I hope it was awesome for everybody. It was great. We, we had a great time doing it. And we'll uh, catch you next episode. Thanks. See ya. Bye.